welcome to the Truth Ward Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have benefited from this podcast or any of Olin's books, we'd like to ask you to leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast or wherever you purchase your books. Now, here's Olin. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at a short passage today. It's one of my favorites, been helpful in my life. It's a fairly famous passage. I think a lot of you may be familiar with it, but by way of introduction, before we dive into that, I want us to think very briefly about the idea, the concept in the Bible of idolatry. Uh, and when you talk about idolatry more in the Old Testament, you tend to think much more about bowing down to a golden cow or some silver statue or a stone structure or something like that. In the New Testament, that's not primarily what's at the forefront of the mind. It's more the idea of heart idolatry. Uh, when you're taking some good thing, some normal thing in life, or maybe a bad thing, uh, but you're taking anything other than God and you're treating it like it's divine. And, and by that, you don't practically mean that that thing can save you in the sense of take you to heaven. But you do sometimes subconsciously think it can save you in the sense of giving you real purpose in life. Giving you a very strong sense of self-worth, self-dignity. Okay? So when we think about idols in the New Testament, it's like a pseudo-savior. Uh, it gives me a sense of security. What might be when we're talking about idolatry, New Testament, college students... What might be the type of things that we'd say, this person, this guy, this girl, they're, they're idolizing this in their life. What might be a thing that we might say they're idolizing? Sports. Okay, sports, I think I heard. Say it louder. Academics, Academics okay? Status. Okay, your status. Money. Money, your phone, yeah. All right, we could go on and on and on. Now, here's the thing. Uh, if, if you're a college student and you're in this room, you've come to Christ... Uh, you've been plugged into campus outreach for at least a little bit. You're growing as a student leader. You're passionate about trying to make your life count for the gospel. We talked about last night, what does it mean to be a laborer? What might be an idol, at least a temptation to be an idol, for some of you in this room? Okay, it's all the same stuff we just said. But then, yeah, more ministry-type goals. How many people have you led to Christ? Right? We're having these little share times, which are awesome. You know, Joey was like, hey man, thanks for driving down here to do this. I'm like, I like it. It's good for me to come down here and hear all these stories. It's, it's, it stokes my vision. But I also remember what it's like to be in this room. And I'm in other rooms like this with other people and full-time staff and stuff. And when you got a couple of people standing up sharing the testimonies, man, we saw three people come to Christ on our campus. We had a prayer group of 40 people. We had a Bible study with 50 people. That can all be praise Jesus Glory to God. Hallelujah. But every once in a while, in the back of the heart, it's kind of like, man, I wish somebody would pass me the mic. I don't have a story to tell, but I wish I had a story to tell. I'm kind of thinking about making one up just so I can fit in. Or it's maybe like, I really do have a great story to tell. And why doesn't anybody know it? I mean, yes, I want to give glory to Jesus, but I'd like to at least get like a footnote, right? I was there when it happened. Maybe the greatest danger... For Christians that are serious about doing personal ministry, and idolatry is ministry can become an idolatry. Okay? For a lot of you in this room, and this is going to be true the rest of your life, the greatest danger for you that's going to potentially ruin your personal ministry 
is not going to be some of the more scandalous sins. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole party lifestyle. I'm not saying we're above that. It could happen to any of us. But it will be more of making too big of a deal out of personal ministry and forgetting why you're doing it in the first place. And so we're going to look at a story about that today. Okay. Uh, Matthew chapter, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 10, at the very end of the chapter, starting verse 38. This is about Jesus and His disciples. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed Him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Now, uh, so much of idolatry, just another maybe more practical way to say it, it's just about your priorities. What do you really prioritize most in life? And what we see here is Martha was prioritizing her ministry. Now think about it just for a second. She had a ministry of hospitality. That's a good thing. That's a spiritual gift. Jesus and His disciples were pretty poor. They didn't have full-time jobs or they got full-time paid most of the time. The fishermen, the tax collector had left their job to follow Jesus. They were living off support. A lot of y'all are going to have to raise support this summer. You feel weird about it? Don't. Jesus did it. All right? Good enough for Jesus. Good enough for you. They were doing that. But so they were dependent on people to host them in their house, let them stay there and feed them. So Martha is, is, is kind of the senior woman in this house. She had a big enough house. She had enough resources to feed them. She's doing a good thing. But, as you notice, when she goes to talk to Jesus about it, she actually gets rebuked. She didn't get a compliment. She didn't get an attaboy. She got in trouble, so to speak. So, she had the wrong priorities. How can we tell? John Calvin says this, Martha carried her activity beyond the proper bounds. There's one object to which everything ought to be referred. We are supposed to direct all of our actions to one fixed purpose. Pay proper attention to order, lest what is accessory become our chief concern. Your number one concern in life is supposed to be your personal relationship with Christ. Everything else is second to that. And if anything else replaces that, even really good stuff like personal ministry, leading your friends to Christ, you're in a bad place. Another commentator said this, she's distracted, she's agitated, she's literally, the word means to be drawn or pulled in every direction, going to pieces over all the things she imagined she had to do. You ever feel that way? All the stuff I imagine I have to do. And John MacArthur says she's dragging all around. All right, in modern day vernacular, we say she's running around like a chicken with her head cut off. Okay. So, what's going on with her? The first thing, she's distracted. She's distracted from her priorities. Now again, we could get into a discussion right now, but what are your right priorities? Where does school fit in? Where does family fit in? Where does sports? Where... But let's just make it really basic. Your most important priority is Christ. Your personal friendship, relationship with Christ, your worship of Christ, your enjoyment of Christ. If anything comes in between that, your priorities are out of whack. So, if you stayed up too late on a regular basis because you're just watching TV, watching Monday Night Football, or because you're out sharing your faith, sharing your faith is better than Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football is not bad, right? But if you're doing so much of either one that you're like, I'm just too tired to wake up and spend time with God in the morning. And then I have to run to class. And then I never find time for it the rest of the day. 
You, you got some idolatry going on. You have your priorities out of whack. Christ has got to come first. Nothing can come between you and your personal time alone with Him. Okay? I mean, I hope, guys, I hope that y'all left last night with a sense of privilege, but also a proper sense of kind of burden and stewardship. Man, I want to give my life away to impact other people in Christ. That's a good thing. And what this morning is, is it's really twofold. It's one, it's hoping to sober you up that you can't overdo that. I don't want you to underdo it. I don't want you to overdo it. But also, it's going to be hard, and I'm trying to talk to you about the way that you can do it, not just for the next semester, but for the next 25 years, that you can stay in it for the long haul. Be more of a marathon runner than just a sprinter that gives out. All right? I had a good friend. Uh, we came up through the ministry together. We were kind of the same age and stage. He actually was at Barry. He was a soccer player. Came to Christ there. He, you know, campus staff, campus director, area director over there. And me and him were kind of coming up through the ministry together. And it was fun. It was exciting. We're leading people to Christ and leading Bible studies and having people go to New Year's Conference and beach projects with us and everything. And uh, one time I talked, and this guy was a hard worker and he did a lot. And, you know, he was having a very seemingly powerful ministry. And then one day he said, you know what, I woke up and I just didn't want to get out of bed. And that was not this guy. I mean, he was high energy, high octane. And I was like, dude, what happened? He's like, I don't know, something just snapped inside me. And I was like, you've got to help me understand. And he said, man, I just had neglected my personal, real intimacy with Christ for so long. It was like I had built a skyscraper of ministry on a house of cards foundation. And eventually it, it crumbled. This guy's not in ministry anymore. He's in the business world. He's still walking with the Lord. Everything turned out fine. But it was hard for a while. Make sure you keep your priorities straight. Okay? Listen, Martha was too prepared, I mean, too focused on preparing this gigantic feast when probably the equivalent of whatever a Jewish peanut butter and jelly sandwich would have been fine. And then go listen to Jesus' teaching. So... When, you're, when your priorities are out of whack, you're distracted. The second thing is you're demanding. Did you notice her prayer? I mean, she goes to Jesus. That's good. She had a problem. She went to Jesus. But her prayer was not that great of a prayer. Lord, do you not care? Listen, here's another thing. When you start to neglect your intimacy with Christ, you will start to feel like God didn't really care for me. I feel all alone. I feel like I'm out here slaving for Jesus, but I don't feel like God's close to me. I don't feel like God's helping me. I don't feel like God's blessing me. It's not a good place. And so she goes in her prayer life and she's very demanding. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And we talked last night about beseeching prayer, urgent prayer, pleading prayer, begging prayer. All that's good. But this is demanding prayer. This is arrogant prayer. This is not, oh God, please help me. This is God, you have to do this. That's wrong. Okay? Because she's looking... Guys, the comparison game will kill you. And it will be a lifelong battle, but do everything you can do to get out of the comparison game. It's a lose-lose game. Because either you look around and other people are doing better at you, and you're like, I didn't lead anybody to Christ this semester. I'm a big loser. Maybe I shouldn't even be in this room. Or you look around and you're like, I led three and a half people to Christ, you know? One was kind of me and my friend, so I'm going to take half credit, Right? I'm the greatest student leader in here. And now you're arrogant and nobody likes you. Okay? It's lose-lose. So just get out of the comparison game. But she's in the comparison game. And guys, this, this is going to help you on Beach Project. You have different 
strengths, you have different weaknesses, you have different capacities. There's some of you in this room that you can really function on about five and a half hours of sleep. That's all you need. It's not because you're better or tougher. It's just the way God made you. And so Beach Project is going to be easy for you to work a 40-hour week, do all the D-group room leader stuff, have one-on-ones with all your people, you know, and hit the gym for an hour every day. And you're going to feel like a hero. And there's going to be another person in your room, and just the way that God made them, they really need about eight hours of sleep, and they're going to be dragging all summer. And you need to be compassionate with that person and not looking down on them. Does that make sense? Get out of the comparison game. Live for an audience of one. Do the best with the gifts that you've given, God's given you, to honor and please Him. And don't worry if you're a little bit better than Him and not quite as good as her. Just get out of the game. It'll free you up. She's distracted. She's demanding. And then third, she's down. She's bothered. She's worried. She's kind of self-consumed. Tim Keller, a lot of y'all have heard him. He had a great phrase when he used to say, your idol won't love you back. You'll put all this time and energy into it and it's not going to love you back. It'll never be worth it. Even when you think you're getting what you finally wanted, it won't satisfy the depths of your soul. The only thing that can satisfy the depths of your soul is the deep, personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think you can make a good case that the three kind of most powerful revivals, at least three of, maybe not the three best, but three of the best kind of revivals, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, powerful ministry experiences in the whole Bible, were when Jonah basically led the entire city of Nineveh to repent. You remember that one? Okay? Really radical. Elijah, he led the whole nation of Israel to repent, come back to God. They've been worshiping the Baals, the false god, like literal idolatry. He led them all back. And then John the Baptist in the New Testament right before Jesus came and said all of the countryside was going out to him getting baptized. You know what Elijah did right after the revival? He went and said, God, I'm so exhausted I just want to die. Just take me home. You know what Jonah did right after the revival in Nineveh? He got mad at God about it and said, I wish you'd just kill me. And you know, John the Baptist, after Jesus took over, and he ended up in prison. He was about to get his head chopped off. He started to have a lot of doubts. He sent his disciples to Jesus say, Hey, go ask him, is he really the Messiah? Here's the point, guys. If God uses you this semester on campus to lead like a real revival, something like Asbury, Kentucky, and you're the leader up on the stage, and all your friends are coming to Christ, that will be glorious. But you know what? It won't satisfy the depths of your soul. So I'm not saying we shouldn't work for something like that and pray for something like that. What I am saying is don't put all of your hopes in something like that because that won't do it for you. It'll leave you down. It'll leave you bothered. Whatever it is. Nothing can give you lasting security, safety, significance, satisfaction other than Christ. Now, if Martha's the example of how to do it wrong, Mary's the example of how to do it right. Number one, she's not distracted. She's devoted. I mean, look at verse 39 again. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. I mean, there's a sense of Mary just hanging on every word that Jesus says. She wants to be close to Him. She's worshiping. She's soaking it all up. Is that you? If if somebody was kind of watching you and you didn't know it, would they see you every day carving out time? And you're like, well, you know, Olin, it'd be different. 
If Jesus visited my house every day and his beard and his robe and his sandals and he sat down and he's teaching, I promise I'd be on the front row sitting down listening. If we really believe what we say we believe about the Bible and the Holy Spirit living in us, that's basically the experience we have. Just as good. I mean, Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave. Do we believe that? Are we giving that kind of attention to God's Word in our life? Are we prioritizing? Are we devoted? The second thing about Mary that you notice is she doesn't care about the comparison game. She's free. You know, how do you know that from this text? Well, let me just give you a personal story and then I'll show you. When my children are little, especially my boys, and they'd be getting too loud or rambunctious on a Saturday afternoon or something and annoying me, I would like put them in the backyard and just make them work. And really, I was just trying to get some peace and quiet, right? So I would just make up stuff for them to do. I'd like, go in the backyard and pick up all the pine cones or, you know, something. And that would give me about eight minutes of peace and quiet. Uh, before, one of them would come in, like, Dad, I was in the backyard, and I was really working hard. I was picking up pine cones, but he wasn't helping. He was, like, throwing pine cones in my face and knocking over the trash can and... You know what almost always happened? If the first one came in complaining about younger brother, what was guaranteed to happen within the next 30 seconds? The other one would come in defending himself. That's not true, Dad. I was actually the one working, and he started the fight. But, you know. This house wasn't that big. We don't know how big it was. But your average Jewish person back then, they didn't own mansions. Mary's sitting at the Lord's feet listening. When Martha comes up and says, Lord, don't you care? I'm all alone in the kitchen. Tell my sister to help me. I mean, she's basically saying, I'm a hard worker. Mary's a lazy bones. Don't let her get away with it, Jesus. What does Mary say? Nothing. Because listen, when you're right with Jesus, guys, who cares what anybody else thinks about you? This person over here is bad-mouthing you, slandering you, mocking you. Tarnishing your reputation, but the Lord of creation is looking at you smiling? Who cares what they think? They're a moron. God likes me. I don't have to prove myself, I don't have to defend my honor. I don't care if they got invited to something and I didn't get invited. I've been invited to heaven. And you just rest in that, guys. But again, you can know all of that academically. But if you're not living in regular communion with Jesus, you won't be tasting and seeing it with your spiritual taste buds. And so it won't be real and powerful and potent in your life. You've got to go there. The third thing, she's delighting. She's delighting. Okay? She's just enjoying. One thing is necessary. Verse 42, that's what Jesus says. If I said that, if some preacher you heard on the radio or TV or YouTube or whatever said that, you think, ah, they're probably exaggerating. But the point is, Jesus said it. He didn't exaggerate. There's only one thing necessary in life, communion with Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Worship Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. Now, okay, practically, what do I have to do to be less like Martha, more like Mary? Because guys... The application is not, don't do ministry. Right, as soon as this is over, like, go tell Joel, I quit. I'm not coming to Beach Project because I don't want to be like Martha. That's, that's not what this is about. I, I do a version of this sometimes with staff that, that are moving into leadership roles. 
And sometimes people kind of think, well, maybe, maybe I need to, you know, just work a lot less. Every once in a while, that might be the application for a real workaholic. That's not the primary application. If that's what you walk away with, the primary application, you've missed it. Here's the problem. Because listen, that won't fix you. You just go idolize something else. Idolize your golf game or something. The best defense is a great offense. The best way to address this is just fall more in love with Jesus. You actually might start working more, doing more ministry. But it'll be, what's the motive? It's not about me. It's not about my fame. It's not about my name and my reputation. It's all about Him. It's an overflow of passion for Him. And who cares who gets the credit? That's the application is fall more in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do you do it? So much of it happens through your personal prayer life. So just keep going. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught His disciples. And just pause here for a second. It ought to be highly instructive to us that God became a man. He walked on planet Earth for 33 years, and yet He had an incredible prayer life. He had no indwelling sin. Fully God, fully man. And if He needed and or wanted to pray that often, how much more we should be in the place of prayer. A lot of these guys were discipled by John the Baptist, a pretty radical dude, before they got discipled by Jesus. But when they saw the way Jesus prayed, they're like, we need you to teach us how to pray. John taught us some good stuff. We think you can teach us better stuff. And here's something else very interesting, guys. Read all four Gospels. There's only one time that any of the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us how to blank. They never said, teach us how to preach. Teach us how to evangelize. Teach us how to debate with the Pharisees. We love it when you make them look stupid. Teach us how to do it. Never did that. Teach us how to heal. Teach us how to cast out the demons. How about teach us how to raise the dead? That'd be awesome. They never did that that we know of. They did say, teach us how to pray. Because they watched his life and there was something so central about his prayer life. They're like, that's the key. That's something different. That's the power source. Joel and Joey had told y'all, hey, you know, we were going to have Olin, but we actually found out there's somebody else standing down here at Panama City, and we got him to come. It's Tiger Woods. Maybe not the most spiritual speaker of all time, but he is an expert on a few things. We're bringing in Tiger Woods to speak to y'all. We're going to have a Q&A session. What might you ask Tiger Woods about if you had a chance? Something about his golf game, right? If they brought in LeBron James to speak, you could ask him about anything. I don't think you'd ask him about his golf game. What do you ask him about? You tend to ask people about what you think they're an expert in. Jesus is an expert in prayer. We need to become, by God's grace, experts in prayer. Listen to this quote. It's by a guy named Thomas Brooks. All right. The power of religion and godliness lives, thrives, or dies as closet prayer life lives, thrives, or dies. Closet prayer life just means your prayer life all by yourself where nobody else sees you. Godliness never rises to a higher pitch than when men keep closet closest to their closets. The best riches and the sweetest mercies God usually gives to His people when they are in their closets upon their knees. The grace of saints are enlivened and cherished and strengthened 
by the sweet secret influences which their souls fall under when they are in their closest communion with God. So, what does this practically look like? The first thing is this, prioritize prayer. Guys, if you wait until, well, you know, it's just been a busy semester, I'm going to wait until there'll be enough time to pray. It's never going to happen. There's never just going to be enough time on the calendar for prayer. You do what you want to do. You have to prioritize it. So let me tell another story about my own life. And again, I'm just trying to do this to give you very practical, tangible examples. Okay, I shared a little bit of my testimony last night. Really started walking with Christ when I was 15. Um, and was trying to have personal time along with the Lord. It's, it's funny, actually. I came to this retreat center in 1994, the summer before my senior year of high school. And I can remember sitting in these little gazebos out here where some of y'all were this morning, spending time with God. All right? Uh, almost 30 years ago. But when I got to Sanford, I, I could not string seven days in a row of spending time alone with God. Anybody else? I mean, you don't have to do a show of hands. It might be embarrassing. But that was just me. It's like I could get six days in a row. But sometimes it's like I could never get seven days in a row. And I, well, I wasn't a legalist. I wasn't like trying to earn my way to heaven. But it's just like, man, this is the most important thing. Spend time with God every day. And typically what would happen for me is I could be really disciplined through the week. Set my alarm. I never woke up on time. I, you know, snooze, oversleep, go to class. But at least I'd throw my Bible in my book bag, go to class. And sometime during the day, I'd pull aside. I'd have time alone with the Lord. But usually, what would happen is Saturday, the freest day of all. You want to sleep late. You stayed up the night before. You sleep till noon. You wake up. Now you're hungry. You got to go eat. Now football's on. The next thing you know, it's like midnight, and you're like, "Crap! I hadn't read my Bible." It's like, well, it's too late. You know, I'm going to bed. I'll, I'll try again tomorrow Sunday. I'll read it twice as long or something. So coming into, it was the second semester of my freshman year at Sanford, I did this. I said, I am going to kind of make a vow, just me and God, and tell anybody else. But I said, I'm not going to go to bed any night unless I've spent at least 30 minutes alone, me and God. Now, what's magical about 30 minutes? Because there's a verse in the Bible, 2 Hezekiah, chapter 7. No, there's no verse in there, okay? But, but, but here's the thing, right? Some of y'all started to flip to the table of contents. Listen, there's, there's nothing magical, there's nothing special about 30 minutes. But here's the thing. I, I, I would bet my house that every one of you in this room has something that you will spend almost 30 minutes a day on no matter what. It might be watching your favorite TV show, something entertainment. It might be just getting ready in the morning, primping, all the makeup, all the hair, and I'm not against that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It might be going to the gym. I don't know what it is, your hobby. But most of us, 30 minutes a day, that's just kind of normal. And guys, I'm not saying anything wrong with that. But I'm just saying if we can give 30 minutes a day to all those other things, why can't we give 30 minutes a day to Christ? Okay. So I said, I'm going to try to do this. And what I would do is I would try to spend time with God first thing in the morning. Like I said, that often didn't work. So then I'd try to do it first break I had during the day. That often did work. But... Here's how I kept my vow. If I got home late at night, almost midnight, and I still hadn't done it, and I'm exhausted, I was like, you know what? And I'm living in this freshman dorm, you know, four guys sharing a bathroom. I'm like, I'm going to go sit in the floor of the bathroom, that cold linoleum, uh, you know, tile, whatever, because I knew I wasn't going to fall asleep in there, you know, because freshman guys never clean their bathroom. And so I was like, I will sit in the floor and read my Bible and pray, and then I'll take a shower, and I'll go to bed. And guys... It was such a helpful breakthrough in my life. It was just a practical way for me to say, Lord, I want this to be foundational. 
I want this to be set. I want me and you to be the foundation, the center of my whole life. Now, I've been perfect since then. Absolutely not. But so again, here's a personal practical challenge. You know, it's the first week of February. You got about three or four months till Beach Project starts. I just wonder what the Lord might do on these two summer projects if everybody in this room committed to 30 minutes alone with the Lord every single day. And a lot of what we were doing was, God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on this Beach Project? And may all the staff and students on this Beach Project fall more deeply in love with Christ in foundational ways that will stick with them for decades. I think that would transform the world. At least parts of it. Okay, now listen. Can you turn that into a legalistic mantra? If you don't spend 30 minutes along with God every day, you're not a super Christian, you don't be worthy to be a campus outreach student leader. Yeah, and, and don't do that. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? I'm, it's kind of like this. Sometimes I've had people ask me this. As a Christian, do I have to pray every day? It depends on how you mean have to. If you mean do I have to, like do I have to to earn my way to heaven? Do I have to to gain access to God? Do I have to like to earn something, to merit something, to deserve something? No. If you're a Christian, you're an adopted child of God, you can't lose it. It's not based on your works at all. You don't get brownie points when you spend more time in prayer. But a better way to ask the question is like this. Do I have to pray every day? Or like, do I have to breathe every day? Yep, you do have to breathe every day to survive. Is God going to love you any less if you keep breathing every day? No, in fact, you're going to be close to Him really soon because you're going to die. <laughs> but do I have to breathe every day? Yes, you do to, to survive, to live, to be healthy. So do I have to pray every day in that sense? To be alive, to be healthy, to be thriving. Abso-freaking-lutely you do. It, it's really the height of our arrogance to think that we can do this life without this kind of close quarters dependence on Christ. Prioritize your prayer life. A guy named Warren Wearsby said this, Few things are as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Christ without taking time to commune with Christ. The most important part of the Christian life is the part only God sees. Unless we meet Christ personally and privately each day, we will soon end up like Martha, busy but not blessed. Another great commentator, I, Howard Marshall. Service to Jesus must not fill people's lives to such an extent that they have no time to learn from Him. Now this is a quote I'm going to read by a guy named Robert Murray McShane. He was this old Scottish pastor. Let me say this on the front end. I think this quote is a little too extreme. I don't fully agree with this quote. And yet, there's enough nuggets of truth in here that hopefully we can glean out. So just listen to what he says. I ought to pray before seeing anyone. Often when I sleep long or I meet with others early and then have family prayer and breakfast and before afternoon callers. Often it is 11 or 12 o'clock before I begin secret prayer. This is a wretched system. It is unscriptural. Christ rose before day and went into a solitary place. David says, Early will I seek thee. Thou shalt early hear my voice. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark. 
Family prayer loses much of its power and sweetness. And I can do no good to those who come to seek from me. The conscience feels guilty. The soul unfed. The lamp not ready. Then when secret prayer comes, the soul is often out of tune. I feel it is far better to begin with God, to see His face first, to get my soul near Him before it is near another. When I awake, I am still with Thee. Do you have to spend time with God first thing in the morning? No. But is it probably ideal for most people? Yeah, probably. Prioritize your prayer life. The second thing would be prioritize worship in your prayer life before your personal needs. Look at Luke's little short version of the Lord's Prayer. Luke chapter 11, starting verse 2. And He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. So, does this mean, you know, if you're driving down the road and a big truck in front of you hits the brakes and you think you're about to run into the back of the truck, is it wrong to say, God, save me? Of course not. He's your Father. You can talk to Him about anything, anytime, anywhere. But as far as your regular devotional life, you shouldn't just come in with, here's all my punch list of needs today. You should start with, you're my father. You're my daddy. You chose me. You adopted me. This is too good to be true. Start with worship. And then secondly, prioritize grace and relationships. I mean, the relational aspect. Let me just read this whole prayer. It's very short. okay? And just notice how much of it is about relationship. Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. It's about my relationship with God my relationship with others. Just ask yourself this question. When you do spend time alone with the Lord, do you tend to feel more like you are a soldier reporting to duty to the general? Which is not untrue or wrong. There is an aspect of that in the Christian life. He is the general and we are a soldier. Or do you tend to feel more like you are an adopted, loved child coming to spend time with your daddy? Which is more true. It's the greater truth. It's the more dominant truth in Scripture. Okay. We need less duty. We need more desperation. Duty's not bad. Just be driven to the place of prayer more by desperation. Do you know the famous passage? Don't try to flip there right now, but... The book of Lamentations, it's a short book, so it's an easy one to kind of flip past, but it comes right after the book of Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 3, it has this very famous passage you've probably heard before, start in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know why God's mercy is new, it's fresh, like the dew on the grass? Every single morning. Because even as Christians like me and you, my sin is new every morning. And if God didn't have fresh mercy for us every morning, we'd be in hell. And it's good to wake up first thing and to rejoice in, thank you for your ongoing steadfast mercy and kindness and love and grace and rejoice in what Christ has done for you on the cross, in the resurrection, and this salvation that He's bought us, He's purchased for us, that now that we can live out of. So, I'll say one more thing about practical application, and uh, then I'll give you the discussion questions. When I first started to try to spend regular time with the Lord, again, when I was a teenager in high school, and the whole 30-minute idea, I got that from my dad, and so I'm like, I'm going to try to start doing this. (laughs) 
And literally, I can remember back then, it's like I would try to pray like after football practice. I'd come home, I'd go up to my room, I'd open my Bible, I'd get on my knees. And literally, I would pray for like everybody I could think to pray for. And I had a big family. And it's like, that took me two minutes and 30 seconds. What in the world am I supposed to do here for a half hour? But guys, I remember this passage. Some of y'all may feel that way now. You know, I just became a Christian like last summer. That's fine. When Jesus walked around on earth, his disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray. And that was a prayer. And did you know what Jesus did? He didn't say, no, I'm not answering that prayer. He said, okay, you want me to teach you how to pray? Here's how you do it. And he started teaching them. We are disciples of Jesus today. And if you in your prayer life say to Jesus, Lord, teach me how to pray, teach me how to pray, He will. He will. You may not know what to say for three minutes right now, but you pray that all semester, I guarantee you, by the time summer gets here, you will easily be able to fill up 30 minutes of talking to the Lord, listening to the Lord, meditating on Scripture. Guys, prioritize your relationship with Christ above everything else in your life. Because the Lord Jesus Christ loved us enough that hanging on the cross, He prioritized His relationship with us above everything else. And that's the only reason we're saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for the way that You loved us so sacrificially. I pray, Lord, I I praise you that you made the greatest of all time sacrifices for us. I pray that there could be a right sense that we could be inspired and motivated to make little tiny sacrifices in comparison in our life with our time, with our priorities, so that we could put you in communion with you more than the center of our lives. Help us to do that this semester, this summer. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.